Good evening, my little phantoms. You're listening to Phantasmic, hosted by moi, Lady Lillian McCaw. This week, I wanted to explore some haunted castles, so get you some water, sit back, and let me take you on a little mini-tour of Europe's most haunted estates. Rest assured, I do plan on covering more castle stories in the future, so if you like this, be sure to subscribe, follow, whatever it is the platform you're tuning in on lets you do. Now, to start us off, I want to take a look at Barry Pomeroy Castle. You see, I stumbled upon this blog post written by Sophie Nadeau claiming that this castle is one of, if not the, most haunted castle in England. In her little article, she goes on to give a brief history of the castle as well as some most common apparition sightings. Here's what she wrote. I love a good ghost story, don't you? Well, when I heard that Barry Pomeroy Castle is rumored to be the most haunted castle in England, I just knew that I had to pay a visit to his haunted walls. Even more so after I'd seen a couple of YouTube documentaries on the castle with my mom late one evening, and then failed to sleep well afterward. (laughs) Situated on Dartmoor, it sits on the very heart of a region that is no stranger to ghost sightings and paranormal activity. From the devil's supposed visit to Brenter to the mysterious castle that sits in the heart of Lidford Village, there's no shortage of folklore in the area. With rumors of ghosts aplenty, yes, you did just read ghosts in the plural, the ruins of this former medieval mansion lie about ten minutes by car from the fun and quirky and alternative town of Totnes. From evil children to friendly ladies, There's no telling who or what you may encounter on even the briefest of visits. It was a cold, wet, and gloomy day when I arrived. No horror story beginning intended. The weather really was pretty bad. But was the stormy sky really a sign of things to come? Was it foretelling what may have well been a spooky experience? To put things in context for you, I'll share a little bit of Castle backstory. Barry Pomeroy Castle sits in the middle of, well, nowhere, so maybe that's where all these most haunted castle in England stories started. Since the Norman conquest of England in the 11th century, people have settled on the land at Barry Pomeroy and its surrounding countryside. The area is rich in history and full of ruins. Barry Pomeroy Castle, the ruins that we see today, was started in around 1560 by the Pomeroy family. Although the castle had soldiers and many fortifications, its position at the top of a steep hill meant that it was never likely to be attacked. From 1600 onward, ambitious extensions to the property were started. The family wanted the castle to end up as the largest and best stately family home in Devon. Like I said, it was an ambitious project. The extensive building works were never completed, and Barry Pomeroy was completely abandoned by 1700. It was too far from the surrounding towns, too remote to be of any use to anyone. Instead, it has long been the site of teenage initiations. Who can stand being at the castle the longest? Today, Barry Pomeroy Castle is owned and managed by English Heritage. You can visit and take the chilling audio tour that leads you through the ghostly sightings. The ghosts of the most haunted castle in England. The White Lady. I'm not 
sure why female ghosts always end up being described by the color of their dress, but there we go. The White Lady is meant to be the ghost of Lady Margaret Pomeroy. The myth tells that her sister Eleanor was a jealous and mean woman. When the man who Eleanor favored went for her sister Margaret, Eleanor locked Margaret in the dungeon. There, Margaret tragically perished. It's said that unfortunate witnesses can often see her rising out of the dungeon, which is a really damp and somewhat creepy space, and wandering the ramparts. People who claim to have seen her say that she comes accompanied by feelings of depression, uneasiness, and sadness. The Blue Lady The story, dating back as far as the 18th century, tells of a lady dressed in blue. She is meant to be a particularly mean and spiteful ghost, even evil. She is meant to be the daughter of one of the Norman knights who inhabited the previous castle on the land where Barry Pomeroy now sits. The story tells that she was forced into an incestuous relationship with her father, resulting in a child. Her father was so angry that he strangled the child. In her grief, she died, and she is now sent to haunt the castle, wandering the empty rooms and luring unsuspecting men to their deaths. How to Visit Pomeroy Castle Barry Pomeroy is located a short drive away from the town of Totnes and can easily be visited over the course of a few hours. As public transport options are quite limited, the easiest way to reach Barry Pomeroy is with your own car. The castle is owned and managed by English Heritage. As such, the castle is free to visit for members of English Heritage, though non-members will have to pay. As of 2022, a ticket to the castle online, or the cost of admission plus donation, is £7.60. I don't know about y'all, but I'm genuinely fascinated and would love to go on one of those audio ghost tours. Anyone want to go with me? <laughs> but honestly, she does bring up a good point. Why do we name ghosts of women based off of their dress color? Anyway, that little notice came. I honestly love when places have so much history or lore tied to them. This castle is rich in such history, and because of that, it's officially on my list of places to visit. <laughs> but to move on with tonight's program, I found some rather intense tales behind a castle in Ireland. One that may just be the most haunted of all the Irish castles. Here is the story of Lep Castle, as was submitted by an anonymous listener. When the 20-year-old Mildred Dill, known to her friends as Millie, married the 35-year-old Jonathan Charles Darby on November 7, 1889, and moved into Lepp Castle, near Roscrea County, Offaly, she had no idea that she had taken up residence in what would become known as the most haunted castle in Ireland, quote-unquote. A highly talented author writing under the pen name Andrew Mary, by the year 1910, Dill had published numerous short stories and three well-reviewed novels, all of which were extremely vexing to her husband, an arrogant autocrat with violent temper, remembered locally for upsetting his wife by intentionally tracking mud and muck from the stables onto her clean floors. Arguably the most upsetting to Jonathan of all her literary works was the story a House of Horrors, published in 1898 in Belgravia, a London magazine. 
Although set in the guise of a fictional narrative by Andrew Mary, with all the names changed, Lep Castle is called Kilman Castle, Jonathan and Millie are also called Maurice and Betty O'Connell, it was obvious to those in the know that Millie's story was a true account of the ghostly goings-on at Lep Castle. When Jonathan became aware of the publication of the story, he was furious and it is said that he never forgave her for writing it. He always claimed that the ghost stories which had been told for centuries about his home were sheer nonsense, and he had absolutely forbidden Millie from speaking of them. The only spirits in this house, he would often state, are in the cellars. But the spirits, of which there were at least 19, were quite real, ranging in variety from a banshee and a partially unclothed red lady to a phantom light which I have been reliably informed has to this very day, often been seen glowing from within the upper floor of the keep when no one is there. Millie's story, though, perhaps a bit overdramatic in the telling, was based upon fact. Others had attested to ghostly encounters at Lep for ages, and Millie herself had twice come face to face with the most terrifying of all the castle's supernatural entities, what she called it and the thing in which others have termed the elemental. Quote, I was standing in the gallery looking down at the main floor when I felt somebody put a hand on my shoulder, end quote, she later recalled. The thing was about the size of a sheep, thin, gaunt, shadowy. Its face was human, to be more accurate, inhuman its lust in its eyes, which seemed half-decomposed in black cavities, stared into mine. A horrible smell, one hundred times intensified, came up into my face, giving me a deadly nausea. It was the smell of a decomposing corpse, quote-unquote. She described a final encounter with it in a letter to a friend. On the 25th November, 1915, Two of our servants, knowing the master, would be late, and that I was driving that afternoon had invited friends, two soldiers from the barracks at Burr, distant the other side six miles. They came rather late, and my husband came home early, so the visitors had to be kept out of his sight in the lower regions of one of the wings, the priest's house, and were unable to be shown the center tower, the very lofty hall. At 7.15, my husband and I went up to dress for dinner, my room in extremity of the house from kitchens, his dressing room next door to me. Whilst dressing, I was startled by a loud yell of terror-stricken male and female voices coming apparently from the hall, and ran out to see the cause. My husband was out ahead of me at his heels. I passed through the corridor of the wing and into the gallery. On the gallery leaning with hands resting on its rail, I saw the thing, the elemental, and smelt it only too well. At the same moment, my husband pulled up sharply about ten feet from the thing, and, half-turning, let fly a volley of abuse at me, ending up dressing up a thing like that to try and make a fool of me. And now you'll say I've seen something, and I've not seen anything, and there is nothing to see or ever was. This last speech, without a pause begun waving one hand at the thing, end up the stalking back to his dressing room, still abusing me for trying to give him a fright. As he was speaking, the elemental grew fainter and fainter in its outlines until it disappeared. 
He never made any inquiry as to the yell that called us both out, and from that day to this has not mentioned that incident to me. I heard from our servants that when we went to dress for dinner, they had brought their friends just to show them the hall, when all four had suddenly seen and smelt the elemental looking down at them from the gallery. They all got such a turn they couldn't help letting out a ball, and then fled to the servants' quarters where all four were very sick. The next day, the two maids presented Millie with letters claiming it was necessary for them to immediately pay visits to their homes. They never returned to Latin. In early 1922, Jonathan found himself at odds with his tenants, which resulted in their refusal to pay their rents and a boycott against the Darbys. When events escalated to the point that shots were fired through the castle windows on several occasions, and their garden was destroyed by persons unknown. In April of May of that year, the Darbys felt compelled to flee from their home and live with their daughter in Longford. We were forced to leave with only a few clothes, leaving all our precious belongings behind us, Millie later wrote to a friend. Early on the morning of Sunday, July 30th, 1922, an unidentified group of 11 men broke into the castle and, after smashing the furniture into firewood, set the castle on fire, destroying the center and northern portions of the castle. The next morning, the previously untouched southern part of the castle was set ablaze as locals looted whatever could be saved from the fire. For decades, the castle lay in ruins until 1974, Peter Bartlett, an Australian with Irish roots, purchased the ruins and enthusiastically set about restoring the castle and the gate lodge. Following his death in 1989, the castle was bought by Sean Ryan, renowned throughout the world as a virtuoso tin whistle player, and Anne Callanan, a well-known teacher of Irish dance. Sean continued the restoration of the castle, bringing back the central tower to its original medieval glory. Now, for the first time in over 100 years, Wind Whistle Press has published Mildred Darby's account of Lep Castle's ghost, along with a comprehensive introduction providing both historical background and first-hand witnesses' accounts validating the supernatural encounters chronicled by Mildred Darby in a book entitled Lep Castle, The House of Horrors, The Most Haunted Castle in Ireland. I'll be honest, reading these experiences truly astounded me. To even imagine staying a night with a husband as distasteful, that's how I'll put it, as him on top of something as devious as an elemental. Not to mention all the other ghosts that had been mentioned. I don't know. It's just not something I could imagine doing. I especially can't imagine living with that nightmare for as long as Millie did. It's little wonder to me why she'd write and publish a book based on those experiences. Good for her. But as the tale of Love Castle comes to an end, we now begin our third and final story for the night. A bit of a departure from England and Ireland. There's a castle all the way in the Czech Republic that holds a hauntingly fascinating history. Huska Castle. An oddity due to its location, but the mythos surrounding the place are bound to hook your attention the way it did mine, darling little phantoms. <laughs> Unraveling the truth from the myth of Huska Castle isn't easy. What we do know is that this castle was built in the second half of the 13th century. 
However, the reason is unclear and, in some ways, depends on your belief in heaven and hell. The mysterious Gothic castle is built miles from a reliable water source, and history points to it being of no strategic importance. In fact, a look at the record shows that, for long periods, the castle wasn't even inhabited. It is believed that construction began under the orders of Bohemian ruler Otaku II of Bohemia. The building was to serve as a center to manage his large royal estate. That's a reasonable explanation. However, a more fanciful version is that the castle was designed to stop the forces of evil from entering our worldly realm. According to legend, the location of Huska Castle is directly on top of a gate to hell. Apparently, a portal opened on this remote Czech mountain ridge, and the castle was built to stop the demons from escaping. The hole was said to be so deep that the bottom was impossible to find. Inmates that were sentenced to death were offered pardons if they dared to venture inside. As the legend goes, the first man to be lowered into the hole began to scream within seconds of his descent. He was quickly pulled out, but his mind was already irreparably damaged by fear, and his face had aged 30 years. He said that the hole was full of half-man, half-human beasts. The man died two days later inside a mental asylum. Within the castle, a chapel was constructed directly above the hole so that it would be sealed off forever. To this day, it is said that cars will not start if they are too close to the castle. Visitors have heard what they describe as a chorus of screams coming from beneath the floors of the chapel. If one listens carefully, they may hear the scratching of claws. Outside the castle, there have been repeated sightings of a strange hybrid creature between a human, a frog, and a dog. Howling screams in the surrounding woods have also been heard at night. Dark associations have never really left Huska Castle. During World War II, it fell into the hands of the Nazis, who were clearly attracted to its sinister location above a proposed gate to hell. The Nazis famously took the occult very seriously, and it is believed that they chose the castle as a location to perform inhumane experiments in an attempt to harness the power of evil for themselves. Prisoners of war and local people fell victim to the Germans. However, records of the extent of experimentation were destroyed before the end of the war. Public transport to the castle is limited, so one of the best ways to reach the castle is to hire a car for the day. The location is about 30 miles north of Prague. Alternatively, if you are staying relatively close, you could book a taxi from your accommodation. There's a car park at the base of the castle, and upon arrival, you'll need to hike up through the grounds to the main entrance. As a demon myself, I've always loved hearing stories of the various gates to hell that exist in your mortal realm. The construction of a castle leading to a mysterious pit being covered by the way it was described. It truly does scream that they were trying to keep something from coming through. The tale of the young man who suffered irreparably and died shortly after the incident? He was described as having aged 30 years. You don't really come across stories of that nature nowadays, at least I certainly haven't in recent memory. But I think the gates of hell are best left to us demons, yeah? <laughs> and with that, we have reached the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, darlings, and remember, once we reach 500 of you little phantoms, 
I will be sharing one of my very own personal ghost stories. Trust me, you don't want to miss out. So please subscribe, follow, do whatever the platform you're on lets you. Of course, if you have any scary story suggestions, you can always tag me on Twitter at Misfortune4, email them to luckymisfortune at gmail.com. That's L-U-C-K-Y-M-S-F-O-R-T-U-N-E at gmail. Or feel free to tag me on any of my other socials, which are linked in the description. You could even Discord them to me, also in the description. <laughs> if any of you want to and are able to financially support this project, you can find links to my Patreon, Coffee, or OnlyFans in the description as well. Again, thank you all so much for listening to these tales tonight. But might I suggest double-checking your windows before you go to bed? I saw some mysterious shadows moving out there, so... Might not be the worst idea to make sure the curtains are drawn closed, too. Other than that, stay hydrated, will you? Good night. Mwah.